0: Thank you to Third Wheel Podcast Studio in L.A. for the great editing work on our show every week. If you're ever in L.A. and need a studio to use, they have full audio and video capabilities and awesome engineers. They also have a Seattle location coming soon. And of course, if you're just looking for production and editing, they have you covered there, too. Check them out online at thirdwheelpodcaststudio.com. What's up, guys? It's Joey Thurman. Here's another episode of the Fatter Future Podcast. I have a young buck in front of me, 22 year old Matt Wan, and a man, he wanted to drop out of this school. I'm not quite sure you've ever heard of it. It's called how do you pronounce it? Harvard. Harvard. What's it? Harvard.
1: Well, we say we say Boston generally when people <laughs> ask where you go to school. You just you just say Boston because you don't you don't, you don't want the conversation, you know, like when you're on a bus or a plane or whatever, you just, you just say you go to Boston.
0: Yeah. See, like I, I went to Southern Illinois, Edwardsville and they're like, what's, where's that? I'm like, I went to college in St. Louis and I played hockey. Yes. These teeth are real. Uh, <laughs> I, so, so Matt dropped out of Boston or Harvard. I've been there. It's I cool. David Sinclair, um, at his aging lab at Harvard, beautiful campus actually. Oh, very cool. Yeah. So, Matt dropped out to start a nutrition supplement company called Momentus. And what, what would you call it, man? Well, first of all, thanks for coming on. But what would you call it? You're a supplement company. You're a life enhancement. I know a lot of people don't sit say, like saying supplement. How, what's, what's your story?
1: Uh, so we, we like to describe it as a performance nutrition company. And most of the products we make uh, at this time would generally be classified as supplements. Yeah. So I think that's a, a pretty fair way to describe it.
0: Performance nutrition. There you go. Okay, so I've actually been, as you guys know, I've been trying these products. I try everything um, on this podcast, and you have a wide range of products. But why drop out of school and start a company that's one of the hardest markets to get into? I mean, there's, I mean, if you're going to GNC, your vitamin shop, or anywhere, anywhere now, you've got thousands and thousands of protein powders and collagens and everything else. Why start a company? and go into such a saturated market?
1: Great question. Well, to speak to the the market itself, it is, to your point, very saturated. And if I was passionate about a different space, if I had an opportunity to pursue in a different space, then then perhaps I would have. So I certainly didn't choose this market or this opportunity because I thought it was going to be easy, right? But rather because I thought that, It was something I would really enjoy working on, enjoy working hard on and ultimately dropped out because I felt like if I had the same opportunity at the end of my four years there to work on this startup in the position that we were in, then I would have taken that opportunity. So I felt like I could really use those, uh, what ended up being sort of a three-year difference a lot more effectively or productively by learning on the job.
0: Yeah. So I mean you say you had this opportunity but did somebody approach you or are were you kind of in the, you know, supplement realm did you or were you athletic? How did you t- take the opportunity? Most 18-19 year olds aren't like, "Hey, I'm going to start making protein powders."
1: <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess that's a fair question as well. So to back up all the way, I guess the story really started because I was fortunate enough at a, a pretty young age to be exposed to some really, really great resources in health and performance. Mm-hmm. And they taught me a ton about health and nutrition and and supplements being a pretty small fraction of that, frankly. Uh, I just had a natural interest in it through my own sort of health and lifestyle interests. And what made me start looking into the supplement business in particular was when I was, again, fortunate enough to have a peek inside an NFL locker room. Mm-hmm. And basically what I saw there was that the product's we're used to seeing all over the sidelines were not the products that the players were actually using on a day to day basis. They were products that, you know, I'd never seen before from from brands I'd never heard of. And that if I wanted to go find on any type of retail shelf that I I, I just wouldn't have seen before. You know, I felt like a pretty well educated consumer and I had never heard of these brands. so. Ultimately, I felt like the opportunity was to create a line of products that appealed to people like me, people who are wanting to use what the pros were using, but up until this point had been, you know, mostly buying whatever the top rated product on Amazon was or or whatever the best selling product on the shelf at, at GNC or Whole Foods or Costco or wherever it is that you do your shopping. So that's really what made me start looking into it. That was right at the end of high school. And by the time I got to start thinking about dropping out, I mean, we didn't have, I mean, we had a, a very unimpressive business, but there was some structure. You know, we had a product line. Uh, we had a, a bit of a brand in place. There was, you know, some people behind us in and, and terms of supporters and, and financial backers. So we had some opportunity in the sense that I wasn't going to, you know, I was, I was going to be busy from day one. In terms of dropping out, I wasn't going to like drop out and then say, okay, where do we start? It was more like, you know, if I don't drop out, we got to go get a CEO. Right.
0: That makes a lot of sense. I mean, because the supplement industry, as you mentioned, I, mean, and I think people are hopefully a lot smarter now where if they're watching TV and they're seeing, I don't know, somebody eating damn. I mean, I, I will mention brands, Campbell's chunky soup, and the mom's on there. You really think they're they're taking that down before they're going out on the field? Like one, they're probably gonna shit their pants. And <laughs> I, to, I mean, that's just not I mean, unless they're looking for the sodium ahead of time, that might be good. So yeah, they're they're not go, they're not going to McDonald's, they're not going to Disney World after the Super Bowl. Well, maybe they are if Disney World is paying them. But like, that's the thing. You see a lot of this stuff. And I think people now, we're just so desensitized. They're like, oh, wh- whoever, I mean, who's the new golden boy? Um, who's the, the Chiefs quarterback now? Mahomes. Um, yeah, Mahomes. Like, uh, prior to that, it was Aaron Rodgers. It seems like he's being phased out. Go Packers. But, you know, like, is Mahomes really going to State Farm? Is, is that his insurance? Or is he going and having all these he's being rec- recommended for it on TV? He's just, he's just cashing the check. And I think a a lot of these athletes, like that's what they're doing. And it's nice to see you guys are in a lot of NFL locker rooms and and sport locker rooms, right? You're, you're being used everywhere and you're NSF certified. So I want to, I want to to talk about what that specifically means because people don't know like peptides, NSF certified, or ice, all these sort of different names, right? How do you get a product like this in an NFL locker room or a professional sports league?
1: It it really comes down to how we created the products in the first place. So to your point, it, it is really hard to know heads or tails in this market. There's so much terminology. There's so much more information out there than you really want to spend your time or, or frankly is worth you spending your time trying to get into. And so what we tried to do is just, you know, basically ask somebody smarter, right? Ask somebody who is more qualified. So we put together a group of, uh, essentially performance experts, right? So dietitians or strength coaches, um, performance directors, they've, they've got a variety of titles, but basically most of these teams in the major leagues all have some sort of system in place for organizing how they, you know, manage their players' performance, right? Between the medical staff, uh, physical therapy, strength and conditioning, uh, you know, and what goes on the field uh, ultimately. And so... Within that staff, there's generally somebody who is very qualified and makes the decision for the team in terms of what types of snacks and supplements and foods that they're going to be buying, and, and including what ends up in the cafeteria, right? Right. So those are not people whose names you'd recognize, but they do really know their shit. Mm-hmm. So we went to them and basically said, if you could make a product for your guys, what would you put in it? And so as a result of that, they ended up using it. You know, we thought we were going to get the product that was gonna be just the best, right? We wanted to have the best product that ultimately would attract this wider consumer base. But what ended up happening was, it ended up being really attractive to these professional teams as well, because they really sort of built it for themselves in a way. And so it's, it's become very much a, a, a part of our business model, actually that we don't sponsor any professional or collegiate sports teams but it's it's about a third of the business historically is direct sales to those groups so again we don't sponsor any of them but when they actually train on a day-to-day basis and even when they travel on the road this is the product that they're using with the guys you know on and off the field
0: yeah i mean that's really smart because Yeah, there's a lot of people in in sports dietitians and strength coaches, and I've got buddies that train for Blackhawks and everybody else. And Mm -hmm. yeah, there's a lot of the behind the scenes stuff. And somebody like me, when I was working with the athletes, like, yes, they're often recommending some specific type of product that isn't going to be on the shelves. But how are you getting NSF certified? Can you talk a little bit about what that is when people see what NSF certified is?
1: Yeah, so NSF certified is this, uh, so NSF itself is this third-party group that most of the major leagues in the United States, I I think all of them at this point, including the NCAA, have sort of adopted as their standard for third-party testing with dietary supplements and other types of nutritional products. So it's actually written into the collective bargaining agreements for some of these leagues that the teams are not allowed to buy products for the players that don't go through this process. And that happened because they had so many instances of these athletes blaming positive tests, you know, whether or not that was true or not, I, I can't say, but blaming positive drug tests on these supplements that they were taking. Can and say saying,
0: they're probably full of shit and they probably don't. <laughs> Go ahead.
1: Right. Well, there's some truth to it. Um, there's probably some bullshit as well. But I mean, on the, at the same time, it's really not uncommon for these supplements to have things that are not listed on the label and mostly that's not you know that's not the result of some sort of malintent no, normally that's just careless manufacturing practices that something from another product this this group was producing ended up in there somehow or the ingredients were just not sourced carefully and so the reason that you want to care about NSF is that you want to really be sure that what you're seeing on the label is what you're actually going to be consuming and so for the leagues when they adopt that nsf standard now it's not an excuse anymore for the athletes it doesn't matter if you say it was a tainted supplement because we bought nsf certified supplements for you so if you go went out of your way to buy something that you knew put you at risk then that's your fault but from a consumer's perspective like you and me i mean we're not being drug tested but that doesn't mean I want stuff that's in my product that I don't know about or that could potentially be dangerous. So yeah. do I care about a drug test? Not really. But do I want my, my products third-party tested? Absolutely. And I I I mean, literally, unless I probably knew the people at the company personally, I probably wouldn't be taking a supplement that does not have that type of certification.
0: Yeah, actually, every single supplement I take, i either know the owner or CEO, or I've known them for years, or a, not a necessarily specifically medical doctor, but like a medical engineer or some doctor that does deals with peptides and things like that, that look into supplements. Most of your, most of your medical doctors aren't going to know what the hell you know, a lot of this stuff is because they just don't have the training. It's not their fault, just the med- medical system. They don't have that. But yeah, for me, yeah, of course, like, for example, I we feed our two and a half year old son nothing but organic, and some people are like, "Well, you don't necessarily know if it has to be organic or the field next to it." I'm like, "I'd rather take the chance that it's cleaner and doesn't have pesticides and stuff sprayed on it than knowing that it probably has pesticides." <laughs> sprayed on it. Like, so that that I mean, if you want to look for a product that's NSF certified, that makes a ton of sense. Or you want to go to Walmart and buy something off the shelf for. 15 bucks because you want to save money then i mean that's your prerogative uh but for me i mean i look at the ingredients and everything we were talking on the pre-interview that um you know i got some products from you guys too and it took me a long time to actually agree to get them and then when i tried them and look at the ingredients like okay this this makes a lot of sense now when someone is choosing a protein powder i mean what's what's your main seller? protein powder
1: So we sell the most protein powder, but the best selling skew for us, meaning if you just look at like one individual, you know, flavor is actually the collagen peptides.
0: Okay. All right. I want to get to that, but so you, what's the difference between a plant-based protein powder as far as if you looked at the delivery system uh, and absorption rate, because you guys have plant-based and you have a a whey based protein powder, correct? Mm -hmm. Um, What's the difference in delivery system? Is there certain ingredients people should be looking at to choose?
1: So do you mean with respect to our products specifically or just generically between a whey and a plant-based?
0: Your, your product specifically, and then we can touch on the you know the whey and a plant-based, but what's making your products above and beyond you know, another whey or another plant-based powder?
1: So I think that, that comes down to the sourcing, mostly. There are a number of reasonable NSF-certified options on the market, albeit not super popular ones. I think the biggest difference for us with these products is the quality the assort, the sourcing and the taste that results from that. Because again, with the plant-based, there are a couple of, of other NSF certified options on the market and, and even some other ones with, with pretty reasonable retail distribution. So it's not necessarily difficult to get your hands on them, if yeah. you will, but they just taste, I, I mean, I'm not gonna, I don't want to call out any, any, any brands by name here, but really, really difficult to sort of stomach uh, consistently. And the other thing you wanna look for in a plant-based protein is trying to find something that is what they call a complete protein. So the vast majority of plant proteins in of themselves are not complete proteins. And then they don't contain all nine essential amino acids. So if you have a product that combines a variety of plant-based sources, then you're much more likely. And obviously, we went out of our way to ensure that you have a, this combination of sources that add up to a complete protein source, meaning they have all of those nine essential amino acids. The downside to having a product that has a whole bunch of sources, and the reason that we only went with two sources in our plant based protein is that sourcing is difficult, right? It's the most difficult thing about creating a good product. And so, if you go from two sources to four sources to six sources of protein, the complexity in trying to ensure that each of those sources are really, really well and carefully managed each time you order them increases exponentially.
0: That makes sense. I mean, because when plant-based proteins originally came out and when he was talking about essential amino acids, so that's one knock where your people say that they're vegan, the vegetarian, if they're eating fish, or you know, maybe they're going to have some eggs, um, they don't have to worry about that as much. But people eating vegan, are like, okay, you, you got to have your rice, and you got to have your, you got to have your beans and legumes. So you're getting all of these essential amino acids. So that's essentially mm-hmm. what he's referring to there. But when these plant based things came out years ago, and there was only one or two products on the market, you couldn't put them in a protein shaker. You couldn't shake them up because it'd just be drinking like a big ball of nasty powder, and it literally tasted like grass. So, so, I mean, you're, I mean, I've, I've got your, your plant-based one here and you don't have that many ingredients. No, so, it's two
1: sources. Yeah. It's a pea protein and a rice protein.
0: Yeah. And, and a pea protein actually absorbs quite readily because that's the, that's the knock of plant-based protein for whey, Cause a whey protein is going to absorb much faster on, um, but combining these two protein sources, I mean, the protein that I take most of the time, unless I'm doing some weird diet uh, for the podcast is a plant-based protein. Um, and this does actually taste good, which is interesting Because most of the time when I was having um, plant-based products, I'd have to throw in like I uh, throw in a smoothie and a banana or something in, in there to make it palatable whatsoever. Um, what about your, your whey protein powder? What should people be looking for with that?
1: So ideally, you want to have uh, for the most part, if you can find it a whey isolate, that's going to be a product that is gone through an additional layer or step of sort of ultra filtration beyond that, which is required to create a whey concentrate. So as a result of that, you're going to end up some- with something that has dramatically less sort of excess sugars or fats left over from the natural milk state. And Actually, our product is i mean it's been filtered to the point where it's not certified as such, but I could almost guarantee if you've got a lactose intolerance, you should be able to take this product. no problem mm-hmm. if you've got a, ch- a challenge with whey, for example, that's a different thing. obviously, the product is entirely whey, but if you've got an issue with lactose, there's pretty much no sugar in the product from the milk anymore so this this product should actually be okay for you that's right. obviously a really great sign and then Looking at, again, the sourcing. So we try, get, we try to get products that are entirely grass-fed. So for us specifically, we use a German grass-fed whey isolate. And that's actually because the guys who created our products and helped us decide what what sources to look at actually prefer the dairy farming practices in most of the EU countries to those in the United States just because of the 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 stricter farming standards.
0: Is that a difference between the A1 and the A two protein? Uh, is that a lot of people talk about in the States that the the milk that we get from the cows in the States has been pumped with so many hormones that actually the the protein type is different from that. If you've even actually there's a, there's a two milk company that that's their whole thing. Is, is there anything behind that and that why they prefer the European, um, whey base?
1: Yeah, it's, it's part of it. It's actually a, a great point. You clearly know a lot more about this than most people. So, you know, when you are going to the store and you're buying milk, Oftentimes the organic or some of the more, you know, quote, natural looking brands say, you know, no RGBST, no, no artificial growth hormones or the like. When you go to Europe, most of the products don't say that because it's not allowed.
0: Right.
1: <laughs> so it's, it's, it's not an option. <laughs> it's another one of these things where we've got these um, ingredients that uh, – the EU has taken a much more aggressive, uh, I suppose you could say conservative would be another way to characterize it. But from the perspective of health say and human safety, I would just say yeah, safe. they have erred on the side of safety with yeah. those types of ingredients. And so you just don't get that with uh, the farms over there.
0: Yeah. I mean, even even if you look at products, um, even like makeup and moisturizers and anything that come from Europe, they've got much less ingredients. And there's, I don't know, the last time I looked, there was hundreds of uh, ingredients that were banned in beauty products in the EU that aren't even allowed here. So I don't know. I just feel like Europeans are a little bit better than we are. <laughs> it's, it's okay. But uh, there's a, there's a, there's a lot of shit that you, you have to be worried about. And you know, like everybody always says, when you, when you go to Europe, and my, my family is Greek. If I eat a pizza here, I feel like a bloated mess but I'll I'll go to Greece and the little town that they have their uh, second home in and I'll eat an entire pizza. And they're looking at me like I'm a, just a gluttonous American. <laughs> um, completely like I'll order it and they'll say in Greek, like, well, it's a big pizza it's meant for a family. And I'm like, no, it's just for me. So I'll eat the whole thing and then I'll order a crepe with ice cream. And yes, I'm full, but I don't have that like just nasty bloated feeling. Whereas if I would have a pizza here and it's probably just where they're sourcing all their ingredients and I'm sure the cheese is much different. And, you know, the chicken, they just went and cracked its neck out back and, you know, cooked it right there and put it on the pizza or whatever the hell we're eating. So um, yeah, I think Europeans are a little bit better than Americans. So I don't care if you get upset with me for saying that. So,
1: <laughs> well, some of their some of their governments seem to be functioning a lot more effectively, and sure as a result of about. that, you're um, you're going to get
0: some rules that are better at protecting people's safety. Right. Yeah. For sure. Um, now, the medical system in Greece not a great thing. So, I would, that would definitely, definitely not go. Cool. Right. Look. It's it's not
1: like I mean they're not all the same governments right like obviously they're not they're not all managed exactly the same difference but there are some significant differences over there as well but that that to me uh, is a very good way of describing eating in Europe sometimes because I find the biggest challenge there is the portion size
0: yeah yeah and they they just everything is I mean because I eat a lot I have four thousand I'm six three two ten. Um, and the portion size for me, like I said, like, you know, order the pizza and then there, I I see a family of six eating that same pizza and then they all get on the same moped together, which is just funny to me.
1: Uh, yeah, but you look at the pizza, right? And it's like, this is like a small pizza.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's tiny. So this
1: uh, would not be a medium at any New York restaurant.
0: Yeah. And and their dinner is at like 11 PM. I'm like, what? The the kid's two years old. Why is he up? (laughs) there? I'm like, no, he'll start smoking in a year or two. Uh, all right, enough of that tangent. But yes, I do feel better when I go over and I eat food in grease. Right, now let's talk about collagen. Collagen is huge now. And I know yeah. you, guys have, you guys have a collagen peptide product. As you said, it's your number one skew. But now collagen, can we actually take collagen from a supplement and can it actually help the collagen in our body? Or is this just something where like, I mean, collagen is, it's, I know a lot of products that are very cheap. So I want you to speak about collagen in general, but then also what differentiates your product as well. I mean, taking collagen, will it actually help my skin and elasticity and will it actually I must talk about it? I want to be more attractive anyways. So it going to help me be prettier.
1: I don't know that it's going to help you be prettier but the evidence in terms of supplemental collagen and driving collagen synthesis i.e. actually creating new uh, you know collagenous tissues either in joints, tendons, ligaments or skin, hair and nails is is really really strong, really really strong for supplemental collagen and so Uh, in terms of taking the product and and ultimately having an effect on the body. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the, the science is, is pretty darn strong in that respect. But the challenge, like a lot of things is, is that, you know, your body's super complicated. So this is a supplement and ultimately it's a small part of a much bigger picture. And so are you going to be increase? Is this a very convenient way of increasing the collagen intake into your diet in a way that doesn't require you to, you know, eat chicken skins five times a day? Yes, it's definitely a very easy way to do that. But if you actually want to like see or feel an effect, it's going to take time uh, and you're going to have to take care of yourself and the other avenues as well.
0: Yeah. Because, I mean, yes, you're, you're right. You, you can boil your own bone broth and eat the marrow and have the chicken skin and, you know, go ahead and have chicken liver and all these different things. And people say, like, you can get this from food. But let's be honest. Americans are lazy and we, we want things quick. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe, we have a, maybe we have a little bit more time now with 2020 being home more. Um, but why collagen peptides? Can you specifically speak of what – because – There's collagen that people can purchase. What's the difference between collagen and collagen peptides?
1: So peptides just refers to a chain of amino acids. And there is some clinical research to suggest that certain types of peptides are more effective in generating collagen synthesis in specific types of tissue. So specifically with our product, we've sourced a, uh, actually a trademarked uh, ingredient Uh, again, from Germany, although that's just a coincidence, to be honest with you, that has been specifically and clinically researched to support collagen synthesis in tendons and ligaments. So those are the things that athletes care about most in terms of their health and longevity and, and oftentimes return to play as well. And to your point, you can consume a collagen-rich diet and in fact probably should. But the reason you should consider a collagen supplement if it's something you're particularly concerned or passionate about is, is similar to the reason I think you should consider any other type of protein powder And that it's it's not like you can't consume enough protein from food. It's that it's a really, really convenient way to supplement with it at a time that optimizes the absorption of the product. So you can actually Instead of having a again like a huge amount of collagen, you know, rich foods all at once on a consistent basis, you can lean into the research that supports you know fifteen grams or more of collagen peptides as being um, you know significantly better for triggering that collagen synthesis and have a very easy way of ingesting that on a consistent basis. And so, again, you can have a collagen-rich diet. It's very difficult to do that in you know, a low cost flavorless powder that you can just mix into your coffee every morning, just like you could have enough protein throughout your day. But sometimes it's very hard to have a very easily digestible, absorbable 25 or 30 grams of protein right after you leave the weight
0: room. Right. especially if people like, yes, I, I recommend all my clientele to eat food when possible. But if you're on the run and you need to have a protein shake and, you know, add some collagen to it. If you're going to work out again in three hours, especially a professional athlete, and you're having a high fat meal, that thing that meal is going to be digesting for four to six hours and more. And it's going to feel like you're going to vomit on the field. Um, so, I mean, I, I think you, as an owner of a supplement company, it's nice to hear you say that and not just like, I guess you said, you should have a collagen rich diet. Um, but, supplement it and, and intersperse it when it makes the most sense for you and your body. Cause I mean, yeah, you can take, what do you got? 15 grams of collagen um, in one of your servings. So that just makes a lot of sense. I even do a um an Instagram video where I did like a blueberry protein collagen. It looked like as I do a series called ugly dude from a food, it was ugly, but it's delicious. But I, I was able to get it in there because I think I was going in between clients or something, but uh, <laughs> It's good.
1: Right. So again it's 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 not like you can't get these types of foods or nutrients elsewhere in your diet. It's that a supplement is a dramatically easier and sometimes especially when there's some sort of sensitivity or evidence that timing is of significance, which there is with collagen, it can be a much more effective way of getting that nutrient in.
0: Now, what does the research say with athletes and taking collagen? Is it going to make sense cuz I know that if if somebody's having a meal and that nutrient timing, if you're a professional athlete, yes, they're going to want to time their food and, and have it like pretty much right after their workout and beforehand and, you know, something small and then eating several times a day, just so they're getting that nutrient absorption to prepare themselves or that glycogen replenishment. But what does the research say for your average individual? When should they take collagen? And if they're just you're going to your workout class or they're going to their trainer, when, when should they take the collagen?
1: Yeah, it's, it's a great question because I've actually got probably two answers for you here. There's sort of what the research says, and then there's sort of, I think, maybe the more practical application of that. So the research, I, I think Keith Barr uh, out of UC Davis is, is probably one of the more respected researchers uh, in the field around this type of nutrient and around um, at least specifically around collagen and tendons and ligaments, right? As it relates to athletes and his research indicates that the most effective time, again, to generate collagen synthesis is actually if you take uh, 15 grams or more of collagen peptides before you stress the joint, Hmm. meaning that they were injecting the athletes, uh, I shouldn't say injecting, they were um, having the athletes ingest the product before they actually train as opposed to during or after Um, that's how a lot of the professional teams that we sell our products to use it they give it to the guys and basically these pretty low-volume you know shots sometimes with like a little bit of orange juice sometimes with coffee um, whatever it is or or beet juice even is another common one we see uh, so that the guys basically drink that as they're walking out onto the practice field or the court and that again is what the research points to what i'd say for the average consumer is that that research is applicable to you but the more applicable thing is that you should use it consistently i mean pretty much like any other sort of health or lifestyle practice or diet or supplement or or go down the list right the most important thing is consistency so if Consuming collagen right before you work out, either in your coffee or a shake or juice, is not something that you like or enjoy. Then you just need to find however it is that you enjoy consuming the product most consistently. And for a lot of people, uh, that's like with their morning coffee. That's probably the most popular way that we see the average consumer use it. And so that's why I say I sort of have two answers because there's what the science says about, you know, specifically on this, what like. You know, like at the moment, what is the most effective way to consume it? But of course, over a long time horizon, there's unanimous consent that consistency is just by far and away the most important thing. So for the vast majority of consumers, I'd say whenever you think you're going to enjoy taking it the most and you're not going to forget it, just do that.
0: Okay. And the coffee, the the heat of the coffee isn't going to denature the collagen at all, right? No. Okay. Because I know that a lot of people that originally and then they were like heating up their protein powders back in the day, but now, now a lot of them are a lot more um, heat resistant, if you will, where you'd be fine, where you can make your like protein pancakes or whatever the hell you will.
1: I, yeah, I mean, co- collagen, truthfully, um, I mean, it's it's mostly a raw collection of amino acids. I mean, that's why when you open our product, it's a white powder. It is totally flavorless i mean when i say flavorless it's genuinely flavorless like try it in water there's almost no smell or taste to it and if you compare that to something like a vital proteins or another other maybe another leading product on the market um it's unflavored in the sense that they haven't added any flavor but when you add it to water (laughs) there's 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 a real smell to it um I i won't describe it but there is a real um ovine like smell <laughs> <That> product
0: <laughs> drinking a cow
1: <laughs> yeah in some ways you are right i mean yeah. that's where it's sourced from
0: sure. all right so you have a you have a new product that came out and and people they want to get smarter they want to be more efficient uh you just came out with uh the momentous brain drive and momentous by the way people m o m e n t o u s Uh, brain drive. Can you tell me about this? Because a lot of different B vitamins and things that are present in food. And as we touched on um, earlier before, there's no way to get all these. But why create a product called brain drive?
1: Great question. So I guess we started to think this was an interesting category for us as we came to understand our customers' broader relationship with food and supplements. So Although our products are all created with really specific purposes in mind, our customers are ultimately taking them because they want to feel good or they want to feel better. And so, one way of improving that sense of well being is helping them recover from their workouts and therefore do more of the activities they like. And another way of helping them is actually setting them up to approach their day to day lives with a well fueled brain. So, I mean, it won't surprise anybody listening this to learn that like every other organ or tissue in your body, the function of your brain is directly impacted by the nutrients you consume uh, or the lack thereof. Mm -hmm. So brain drive is basically designed to deliver the nutrients critical to the production of these compounds we call neurotransmitters and specifically the neurotransmitters, dopamine and acetylcholine, which are responsible for feelings of focus, motivation, uh, positivity, learning, and processing speed. So all of that is a very long-winded way of saying that we think uh, our customers are thinking about their nutrition outside of just the workout itself. They're really thinking about it in sort of a 24-hour cycle, 24-7, 365, if you will. Mm. And so in terms of improving their well-being we think actually helping their brain is i mean as important if not more important than than any type of a specific you know joint or muscle or the like
0: yeah so would this be considered a nootropic
1: yeah for sure so i mean a nootropic would technically be defined as you know a supplement or drug that supports uh, brain function Okay. So I think this would technically fall into the nootropic category, although truthfully we're not sure whether or not that's a term that our our customers are going to jump at. Yep. I think sometimes people hear the word nootropic and they either don't know what it means, so they assume it's not for them, right. or they hear it and they assume that it's you know some type of um, you know caffeine pill that's going to make them wired for the rest of the day and. Yeah, there are, there are definitely products that meet those criteria, <laughs> but that's, that's not what this is.
0: Yeah, actually, you don't have any caffeine in yours whatsoever. Which no. was interesting. Uh, because I'll, I've been taking it for a week and a half or two weeks now, and I've, I've been playing with, with the dosage, what I take it with as well. I mean, servings, what, two? Um, mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll do two some days just with water. Some days I'll do one with coffee just to kind of see how I feel, and I did take it today uh, kind of in preparation for this, but I, I took one with a little bit of coffee and then I take a half a pill of no dose before a workout. So I know exactly how much caffeine that I'm getting. No, I don't get paid by no dose, but no dose, if you want to pay me, go ahead. Um, so I'll do that and I do. Now that's a nootropic. Right? So yeah, no, I, I definitely do, uh, feel a much better sense of alertness, but if somebody was just to take like a B vitamin, what's the difference between them taking a B vitamin? You, I mean, you got B, B6 and you have niacin uh, and, and different things in there. What's the, the difference between them taking that versus your combination?
1: So the B vitamins are just one component mm-hmm. of what goes into the product. Um, I mean, we could talk specifically about what makes for, a, I guess, what makes for a good uh, B complex, but there there are a variety of reasons that somebody might want to take that. Maybe it's, it's something that they think they're naturally lacking in their diet because, um, you know, they're not getting B12 from red meat or something like that, or... Um, You know, some other type of reasons, you know, some some B vitamin deficiencies can actually be hereditary. So there there are a whole bunch of reasons that you might want to take a B complex in of itself. But the reason we include them is because they're necessary nutrients again in some of these processes that regulate how the cells in your brain communicate. So it's a very, very (laughs) sciencey, complicated process. Um, that's that's probably not worth getting too far into Mm -hmm. on this but uh b vitamins are actually only about half of the ingredients that come into the product and truthfully it's it's probably some of the less differentiated ones uh at least in the sense that there are a lot more supplements on the market that contain high quality b vitamins so on top of those b vitamins we're combining an additional set of, again, these sort of cofactors or precursors to dopamine and acetylcholine production. So, namely, you're looking at uh, acetylcarnitine, uh, a trademark form of acetylcholine called Cognizin. You're looking at an extract of bacopa mineri, which is an herb mm-hmm. and a natural source of something called L-dopa, which again is a, a metabolic precursor to dopamine. And then L-tyrosine as well is another really critical compound actually in the production of dopamine. It's an, it's an amino acid.
0: And a, and a lot of these things actually are being used to help with Alzheimer's and dementia and memory disorders as well.
1: Yeah, L, L-dopa in particular is a very common uh, treatment.
0: Right, so what's your goal uh, for this product? I mean, you think people to get up and take in the morning. Is this something that they need to be taking every single day? As they take it, are they going to need to take more? What What is your research pointed to?
1: There's there's no evidence that you should need to take more of this product over time, and in fact, the opposite, because this is a product that's that's benefits accumulate over time, a lot like many of our other products, in that it really does support long term brain health, and that you you want to have these nutrients in abundance in the tissue in your brain, in the tissue in your body. And so just taking one capsule, you know, on one day is going to spike that, but it's not going to spike it in a way that, you know, consistent dosage and supplementation over the course of months or even years is going to. Right. right? So it's it's actually the opposite effect in my opinion.
0: Uh, That that makes a ton of sense because as as we feed our body proper nutrients and it's like when someone starts eating well for a few weeks and they go back to having I don't know, tacos or Dairy Queen or something, they they feel like shit, um, you know, and then they start going back to eating something else or their, their body is used to those good nutrients. And um, is it okay if someone's taking this for a few weeks and they kind of stop for a week or so, they should be more efficient than they were prior to? Or are they going to feel um, like they're going to, for lack of a better sense, be crashing a little bit?
1: It's, it's a fair question. And I, I probably don't have a good... Sort of blanket answer for you. I think the better question in that circumstance is sort of what does the rest of their diet and lifestyle probably look like. So three or four weeks of consumption is is probably not enough to have you know a real long lasting impact on the nutrient balance for yeah. yourself. But um, you know if if you're also consuming, then I think you're probably going to feel pretty good over those couple of weeks and, you know, probably not notice a huge difference coming off of it. Again, assuming this is somebody like you, right. Who's like, okay, yeah, I'm not taking brain drive anymore, but like, I'm still eating great every day. Um, If you're somebody who eats like shit and then you stop taking brain drive, then like you're probably not getting B vitamins elsewhere in your diet. You're probably not getting carnitine or tyrosine elsewhere in your diet. Uh, You're probably not getting great sources of choline you're not having, you know, eggs or red meat regularly. So yeah, if you stop taking the supplement, you you might notice a difference.
0: And you you kind of answered my question that was going to come up because somebody like me who's very attuned with what I what I put into my body. And I'm taking something like this, like, I don't feel like I'm going to notice as much as like this world changing thing, right? Because I'm I'm already eating a, a diet that's got a lot of these things, but someone that probably isn't do you feel like they're going to notice more than someone possibly
1: possibly again? I think it's the same, same sort of dynamic where, um, your baseline might be a lot higher Mm -hmm. than an average person in terms of where you sit with a lot of these nutrients. But at the same time, somebody whose diet is not particularly, uh, great is oftentimes not particularly consistent either. So the challenge with taking a supplement and expecting immediate result is that it might be the result of taking that supplement and and feeling great. It might be because you just had a better breakfast that one day and your body's like, oh my God, I had a great breakfast. Like, why don't we do this every day? Like, I feel so much better. And then you take the supplement the next day and you have frosted flakes for breakfast and you feel like shit. Like, guess what? You know, there's a little bit more to it than that. Right.
0: Your body doesn't feel great. Okay. I had to, <laughs> I should have picked a different cereal. <laughs> it, was right, it was right there on a T. Uh, all right, Matt. One more question. Uh, sure. where do you feel, uh, like the future of not only your company, but the supplement industry is headed?
1: Oh man, I don't, I don't think it's sort of one direction. Um, Ultimately, because I, I I think that you have to think about what type of consumers you're looking to serve. You know, I think for our brand in particular, and the types of consumers that we're looking at, I think the most promising areas of growth are going to be uh, brain health, which this product definitely fits into that category. Uh, gut health and longevity are probably the three most interesting areas. Uh, for this end of the market, which is generally, uh, truthfully, for lack of a better term, sort of more of an educated consumer. Mm-hmm. Um, on the flip side, I think there's also going to continue to be a real portion of the market that is, you know, very much interested in lower price products, very accessible products. Um, so I think you're going to continue to see probably. Uh, some relatively undifferentiated products seeing seeing pretty good success at the lower end of the markets that are probably you know some type of celebrity backed brands um, people who have really powerful brands in of themselves coming out with you know their own their own product lines and the like and and trying to to capture a big percentage of their audience that 's like oh you know i'm um, I'm just making this up, but like, oh, like I'm, I'm already consuming, you know, gold standard way. Like Kevin Hart's is the same price. Like I may as well try his because his is, you know, cookie flavored.
0: Sure, mm, cookies.
1: So <laughs> I, I, I don't know if that answers your question. I'd say yeah. that there's, there's a whole bunch of different directions the market's going in. But for our side of the market in particular, I think, I think brain health, gut health, and longevity they most interesting categories.
0: Yeah, I, I think you're right, and I, I would throw in a, a recovery as well. Um, I think recovery is starting to get huge, which you could kind of roll all these into it. If if you're having more longevity, you're having more brain health, you're having more gut health, your body's going to perform better and, and recover um, much better. All right, Matt, where can people people find you? Where where can they find your company?
1: So uh, the company is livemomentous.com and at live on Instagram. And my Instagram handle is, um, what is it? I think it's uh, at underscore Matt
0: I love how you didn't know your own Instagram handle.
1: Well, Matt Wan wasn't available. So all I know is that it had to be some obscure collection of punctuation around Matt Wan. I have a Chinese last name. So, you know, the chances that I had the first a- account were very low.
0: Yeah. That other jerk Matt Wan took it.
1: <laughs> yeah. I don't know, I haven't met another Instagram Matt Wan yet. Maybe maybe I should try to reach out.
0: Okay, well, Matt Wan, the other Matt Wan, if you're listening, reach out to Matt some other uh, not knowing his own Instagram handle Matt Wan.
1: If you're willing to trade me your Instagram handle, I'm willing to pay up to $30. $30. <laughs>
0: All right, Matt. Uh, Thanks for coming on. I'm Joey Thurman. This was another episode of the Fatter Future Podcast. Remember, don't be a fatty. F-A-D-D-Y. Be a part of the future.